0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, welcome to our Legacy series. Say that with me, Legacy the purpose of this series is to invite you to be a part of a miracle, part of a miracle. Have you ever looked at things around you going on in the world and thought, somebody ought to do something? Some, some children are being sex trafficked. How many of you know that? Can I tell you something that's shocking? Louisiana is one of the states that leads that sad number. A lot of that is because of New Orleans and all of the different events that go there and being on I-10, but literally almost every week or two, somewhere in our region, someone is arrested for sex trafficking, children, oftentimes people from other countries, as well as runaway children or troubled children in our area and in our state. How many think somebody ought to do something about that? How many of you know that people are struggling with addiction? The untold story of what's happened during this last season that everyone has called COVID is that 90,000 people have OD'd or taken their lives in the last 12 months. It wasn't as a, like you you can have some disease and be elderly and die and they list COVID as a cause. This is a direct response to the spirit of fear An anxiety that is on the land. How many of you see people that that are really struggling with addiction and wish, man, I wish somebody could do something about that. Today, I want to talk to you about how you can do something. About how you can look at our community and you can lead not only in our community, but in our region and in our country and to partner with God to do something significant. Actually, I want to teach you today, but I want to ask you first if you want to participate. How many of you want to be a part of a miracle? Raise your hand. I don't know about you, but I want something in my life to only be explained by Jesus. Like, like I, I want them to look at my life and go, well, everybody in his family's like this. What happened to him? Maybe some of you come from extreme poverty abuse some of you come from generations of a divorce or addiction and as you look down the family line you wonder what in the world can god use to stop that you you each have your own story but portion of mine is my great-grandfather ran off and abandoned his family in mexico he was immoral my grandfather was immoral to the last five years of his life and he was converted and actually became a preacher My father was married five times until in his 70s, gave his life to Christ. There's six children in my family. Five of them continued that same cycle until you get to your pastor. So why am I not like my great-grandfather or my grandfather or like my father or like other people in my family? There's just one reason the life-changing power of Jesus Christ to forgive and change me so that I don't continue to put the same pain on my children and grandchildren that was put on me. Some of you are the first person to graduate from high school, the first person to go to college, the first person to own a house, the first person to have a piece of property. I want to challenge you today to be a part of a miracle and to leave A legacy. Say that with me, legacy. Legacy. What What is legacy? Legacy is a future without you, still influenced by you. Inheritance is what you leave behind. Legacy is who you leave behind. When you look back at your life, some of you have heard me make reference to the movie Saving Private Ryan. How many of you have ever seen that movie? And at the end... It ends up the end of the movie. He's told the whole story that began with him telling it. And then you've gone through the whole thing and the people that were wounded and hurt and even killed to try to find him. And he's standing there at the cemetery and he's looking at the lives of the people that died to find him. And he looks at his wife and he says this, tell me I'm a good man. In other words, tell me that my life is worth the sacrifice That many people made for me. You know if that's going to happen. It's because you have to have a vision. For your life. You know what a vision is? A vision is a picture of a preferable future. A vision is you look at someone. Who's addicted and go. They shouldn't be that way. God has a better future for them. You look at someone who's broken. And you go. That shouldn't be that way. God has a better future for them. All miracles begin with the vision. Well, pastor, how do I know if a vision is from God? Well, there's three ways you can know. Number one, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Number two, it's compelling. Something inside you says, I was made for this. I was made for this. Here's the third thing. It's impossible to do without God. It's impossible to do without God. That was such a person who God gave a vision to, when things seemed very hopeless. His name was Abraham. Say it with me, Abraham. Abraham was in his mid-70s and he still had not had any children. And he was out praying and the Lord said, look at the stars of the sky. And he looked up and he said, your children are going to be more than the stars of the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. And he said, Lord, do you know that I'm in my 70s and the blue pill has yet to be invented? (laughs) Well, what what do you mean? It is impossible. Do you realize my wife is 10 years younger than me? And God said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. 10 years went by, nothing happened. 20 years went by, nothing happened happened. How many of you know, like one preacher said, he's slow, but he show. And now 99 years old, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Abram, you know that promise I made you that you're going to have a child? Yeah. You know, your 80 something year old wife and you're 99. Yes. By this time next year, you will be holding that promise that I gave you in your 70s. The amazing thing about the promise of God is this. Look at me. They're all true if you don't give up on them. They're all true. They're all true if you don't give up on them. And now at a hundred years old, he has a child. Now, let's just talk about that just a moment. Your great-grandfather Okay, you pull into the retirement home to see him and he walks up with a big smile. My mom's got something to share with y'all. I'm just saying, you know, the boudros have some strong genes. <laughs> it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. How many of you have tried to have a child and couldn't? And then God finally gave you one. Raise your hand. Come on. Did you appreciate and cherish that? How many of you did what what sometimes we did? Look, there are teenagers having kids that don't want to have kids. How can we want to have a child and we're not having one? And that child grew up. And that child was such a joy to his father that it actually became his life. Stop one moment. Is it possible for God to give you a gift and the gift becomes more important to you than the God that gave it to you? Is it? How many of you know people that live their life vicariously through their children? Come on, I'm, no, that's not you. It's, I mean, it's those people that go to church at Cowboys. <laughs> They'll go to church on a strip or at La Fonda's. It's not you, but I mean, you know those people. And their whole life is lived through their children. Listen carefully to me. The God who loves you will often give you amazing gifts that are desire of your heart. But if you put them before God, he has to remove them for a season to get back at the one he loves he gave them to. He does. This time came for Abram. Isaac was obviously a teenager. If you know this story, you will know it should have happened when he was a teenager. Abraham was praying. The Lord said, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah where you always go and sacrifice to the Lord. And I want you to take your boy. You'll usually go up and build an altar. But this time when you build the altar to sacrifice to the Lord, I don't want you to take a ram or a lamb. I want you to sacrifice your son I gave you. The one that's going to give you more children than the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. I want you to sacrifice him. Look at me and listen carefully. You know he had just passed through puberty. Because every time you get a teenage boy between 13 and 16 that passes through puberty, you know you want to kill him. (laughs) Don't lie. Why do I have to do that? That's why. That voice is ruining my family name. Okay, you know they're awkward. They can't get it together. Their hair sticks up, toothpaste. I mean, they're just, they're just weird. And the Lord said, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him. Your son, your only son, the one that you love. And they began their journey walking up a mountain. And Isaac kept asking the obvious question. Daddy, We've done this before, but every time we usually bring a sacrifice. What are we going to give to the Lord? And Abraham looked at him and said, I told you not to talk to your mama that way last month. (laughs) No, he didn't. He said, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. And they go up and they build the altar. And then he says, son, I want you to lay down. He lays down the altar and he ties him up. And then he picks up a knife just like this. Oh yes. And then the Lord said. Stop. Abraham. Now I know that you love me. More than what I've given to you. That you love. Look over in the bush. And over in the bush. Every Cajun's dream happened. Come on. Every Cajun deer hunter. There was a ram with his antlers caught in a bush. And he took him. He untied his son and they took the ram and they sacrificed him and Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh and Jireh means my God will provide. You think that marked Isaac's life? My daddy wants to kill me. My daddy almost killed me. (laughs) That day marked his life. It also marked his father's life and he was reminded That many things come as gifts from God to bless you with, but don't ever put them before God or He will have to remove them to get back to your heart. That's the cycle of the Christian life. Surrender to God, then obey Him, and then you grow. I've been a Christian for 48 years, it never stops. Surrender to God, obey Him, And then grow. And the moment you stop that cycle is the moment you stop spiritually growing. Well, Pastor, how how can I obey God like Abraham? Well, the first thing is you have to learn how to hear the voice of God. How do I hear the voice of God? Look right here. The voice of God sounds like the Word of God. Say that with me. The voice of God sounds like the Word. How many of you know that I don't have to worry about whether, should I pray about killing somebody? Do I need to pray on that like they say in St. Martinville? Come on, St. Martinville. Do I need to pray about that answer? If, if I'm in need and my neighbor's got something I need in his yard, do I have to pray about whether I should steal it or not? Boy, I'm, y'all kind of scared me now. I want to know your address. I don't want to live close to you. Of course not. Because it's all in. Do I have to pray about being faithful to Michelle? No, or I will be the one on the altar being sacrificed. (laughs) Listen carefully. If it's in the word of God, and he says to do it or not do it, I don't have to pray about it. I know what some of you say, but pastor... Sometimes I want to hear God, like the audible voice of God. How many of you would like to hear the audible voice of God? Raise your hand. I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it today. Are you ready? God did not send his son into the world to judge and to condemn the world, but to be its savior and to rescue it. All you have to do is read the Bible out loud. Then you hear the audible voice of God. Last week, I preached for my spiritual father who led me to the Lord when I was 14 years old. He's now 80. I was preaching the 40th anniversary of the church that he was at. He's been there 40 years and he's been married 58 years. And he's strong enough to whip everybody in this room, starting with me. And he always tells this story when he introduces me to anybody. He actually told it the other day. So when I was living with him, He'd come by and I'd go, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them because they'd... I'd be reading the Bible out loud in my room. And he'd knock on the door. He'd go, Jacob, can't you read the Bible and not be reading it out loud? And I'd say, no. He said, why? I said, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The Bible doesn't say faith comes by reading. I still confess the Word of God. How do I know if it's the will of God? Number one, it's in the Word of God. Second way I know is through godly counsel. People that have gone on before me, people that have been walking the Christian life for a long time. So it's the promise of God. Then it's godly people. And here's the third one, the peace of God. And when the promises of God and the people of God and the peace of God all come together. You are doing exactly what God wants you to do. So what does the Bible teach us about obedience? Does obedience matter? Yes. Okay. Am I the fondest? Does obedience matter? Yes. Okay. Watch this. That was the first lesson in this book. Because there was a man and a woman that thought if they disobeyed and ate an apple, it wouldn't make much of a difference. Look at me. You know where abortion came from? That first apple. You know where sex trafficking came from? That first apple. You know where murder came from? That first apple. Because your obedience and your disobedience never just affect you. You might choose your sin, but after that, you don't get to choose who you hurt. Sin continues to reproduce after itself. No, you don't have to clap there. I know that's convicting. Why should I obey God? A kid told me one time, hey, why should I obey God? I said, well, number one, because he made you. Number two, because he's wiser than you. And number three, because he loves you. And number four, because one day you're going to stand in front of him and give an account for every single choice you've made. That's why obedience matters. So today, I want to teach you how a biblical miracle works as a matter of fact, the story that I'm going to speak out of today is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know it's the only story found in all four Gospels? So if it's the only story found in all four Gospels, you know what that means? It's probably pretty, it's probably pretty important. So we're going to look at two renditions of this story in John 6 and Mark 6. If you have your Bible... Go to John 6, put your finger there, and then go to Mark 6, and we're going to start in the book of John. John chapter 6, verse 1. Together as a group, after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which was the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude, what? Why did they follow him? Because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on a mountain and sat there with what? His disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and now was seeing a great multitude coming towards them. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these to eat? Now watch this. Jesus has been preaching. He's been healing the sick. The disciples are exhausted. And so Jesus and the disciples get away to have some Jesus time. Just them and Jesus. They're exhausted. You're going to find out later they're hungry and they just want some time alone. But when the crowd founds out where Jesus is, they start coming to him. Jesus sees them coming. You're going to see in the story, it's late during the day. So he goes, Hey, we have to feed these people. Verse six, but this, he said to test, test him for he knew himself what he would do. But Philip answered and said, 200 dinar, which is eight months worth of wages if you worked every day, is not enough bread sufficient for them? Then everyone that one of them may have a little bit. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here's a little boy with a happy meal. He has five barley loaves and two small fish, but, but what is that against so many? And Jesus said, bring the little boy, give me the meal, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down and the number was 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So while they were, when they were filled, he said to the disciples, go gather up all the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up, and how many baskets were filled? Side note, how many disciples were there? You take care of Jesus' kids, and he'll always make sure that you're filled up, and you got a basket full left over. Out of this passage, we see the biblical recipe for a miracle. Number one, there was a need. Number two, was sensed by a group of people. Number three, each individual took responsibility for what they should do. And then a miracle happens. So the first thing that you need to have a miracle is to have a need. Is there anybody here with a need? Is there anybody here who has children, brothers and sisters, mamas and daddies, friends and loved ones with a need? As a matter of fact, the only people that are really in trouble is the people that think they don't have a need. Because if you don't think that you need Jesus and if you don't think you need to be dependent upon him, you're in the most dangerous place you could possibly be in. So you know what the good news is? All of us have a All of us have a need. A biblical miracle begins with a need. Here's the second thing where there is a need sensed by a group of people. Mark six thirty five. I want to tell you something. Mark tells us that when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and we, and the hour is what? Late. The disciples recognized there was a problem. It's late. There's no place to go. There's no way to bring these people food. And so now they must do something. Watch this. How many of you have ever raised a child that's really hard? Don't point at them. Just raise your hand. I'll be in counseling all week long with Pastor Joseph. How, of course you How many of you have ever been in a difficult relationship? Don't point at your husband, but we're just talking about people in general. Of course you have. Have you ever felt like you couldn't go any farther? Have you ever felt like I can't do one more thing? It's too late. Jesus loves moments like that. You know what most of us want in moments like that? Look right here. We think we want a miracle, but what we really want is magic. You know what magic is? Here's a dove. Here's my grandson Eli. Here's an old church member that left. Here's your demon possessed husband that won't come to church with you. Here's your demon child. That would be magic. When something appears out of nothing and you do nothing, that's called magic. But you know what a miracle is? A miracle is when you do your part like Abraham did. A miracle is when you do your part like Noah did in building an ark. A miracle is what Jesus did when he walked up to a man who was laying beside a pool for many years that was sick and he was paralyzed and he said, take up your bed and walk like somehow that was a new idea. But when you do your part, then God does his part. And here's the truth of it all. God will not do it without you. And you cannot do it without him. In today's story, we find a handful of people that were willing to cooperate with Jesus. Okay, the disciples, one of them said we couldn't find enough of anything to feed all these people if we had eight months wages. But somebody went. Philip. And found a little boy. How do you think that happened? Anybody got any food? Anybody got something to eat? Jesus is hungry. Now you know what's interesting? You know what the disciples usually did when children came around Jesus? They ran him off. They ran him off then jesus said forbid not the little children to come to me because of such is the kingdom of god and he brought him close and he laid hands on him because there's a lot of people that you don't think are very important that are very 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 important to the god that made them watch this and they find a little boy mark 6:37 says And he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat and they go and they find one little boy, one little boy. Now I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but I want you to think about this logically. There were 5,000 men there. Do you think there may have been at least one other person with some food? But the only one that Jesus could get to give him their meal was a little boy. Isn't it amazing how we can get skeptical and critical when we get older? And you always think there's a motive behind everything and you question everything. And that's why Jesus said, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you got to come like a little boy. Anything that's in this book, just believe it like you're a little child. It's always interesting when you talk to young children about somebody close to them that passed. I, I, I remember a situation where someone very dear passed away, and they were telling a five year old little boy. And you know what the five year old little boy said? Well, he's in heaven. Everybody else, ah! he goes, Well, I mean, grandpa's in heaven. What's the problem? The wonderful part about children is they obey and they don't need a lot of explanation. If God said it, that's all that matters. Here's the third thing. They step out regardless of the odds. Verse 8 and 9 says that one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, here's a lad with five barley loaves and two small fish. They found one little boy that was willing to cooperate with the plan that Jesus had. Can I tell you why people don't give Jesus their lunch? Number one, because they're comfortable. Only one person didn't need a miracle to eat that day that we know of. Who was it? Look right here a moment, and I want to ask you a serious question as your pastor. How many of you here remember what your life was like before you were born again? How many of you were filled with depression and anxiety? How many of you live with the fear of dying? Look at me. How many of you live with some sort of habit in your life that controlled you? Look at me. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Because when you forget that, You forget those that are waiting to be reached that are just as desperate and needy and broken as you were before Jesus reached out and changed you. You can't forget that. We get comfortable like we are and then our heart gets hard and we forget. We forget. Matter of fact, the disciples forgot they came to Jesus and they were all fired up and they said, Jesus, you gave us power. And we went and we casted out demons and people were healed and all kinds of cool things were happening and they were bragging on how powerful they were. And Jesus said, listen to me. I don't want you to brag about miracles. I don't want you to brag about healings. I don't want you to brag about the power that you have. I want you to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life the moment you were born again and the joy of your salvation is what's transformed your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. God often asks us to do things that do not make sense. But when we obey him, a legacy is what? Folllows us. Hey, what do you think things were like when that guy, that little boy, went to school the next day? Man, did you hear Jesus was in town? He fed everybody. Bro, who lunch you? Who's your lunch you think he (laughs) used? What you mean? I mean, your boy. Come on. The Robo Show's always had it going on. what do you think he was like when he was 80 years old? And they said, Papa, you're the oldest person here. Would you pray for the family reunion? Yeah, but before I pray, I want to tell y'all a little story. (laughs) Oh gosh, here we come. The happy meal thing all over again. I know when you were eight years old and you were going to hear Jesus and you knew he was a long-winded preacher like Pastor Jacob. So you brought your lunch with you. And then you went, and then they went to the crowd. Does anybody have any food? Do you think other people had food? But we're only talking about one person out of that crowd 2,000 years later. Is that a legacy? (laughs) From that point on, man, when he was an old man, People go, hey, you know that fish and loaves story? You remember, the disciples would record this 30 or 40 years later. They're reading, Jesus did. That was my papa. That was my papa. That, 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 that's who did that. What well, God asks us to do doesn't oft, sometimes doesn't often make sense, but miracles happen. Now, let me ask you a question. Look right here. How would you like to be a part of giving a million dollars. Yeah. I've worked with people on drugs. I've worked with people broken their marriage for over 45 years. And I've often had people say to me, Pastor, if I had a million dollars, I would help you build that church. If I had a million dollars, I would build a drug rehab. If I had a million dollars, I would build something for Jesus. And I'm going... Why don't you forget the million and why don't you give the 50 you got in your back pocket? I know a little boy like this little boy. I want to tell you about him. He's alive now. And before I tell you this story, I got to tell you something that you know is true. How many of you hate to hear people talk about their grandchildren? How many of you have people that they start showing you pictures? Oh, look at him. Is that not the most beautiful baby you ever saw? And you're sitting there going like that. In your mind, you're going, that is a waterhead. That child is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. And you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they think because it's their grandchild, they're beautiful. Well, let me tell you the difference. My grandchildren really are beautiful. On Friday night. My son, Christian, called me and he was going to preach. He pastors in Houston. And he said, Daddy, I'm going to preach over in an area where you used to preach around a lot. He said, here's the name of the church. He said, have you ever heard of it? I said, no. He said, well, it's a movement of churches you were a part of when you were growing up. And, and I, I, I just thought you might know where it is. I said, no. So afterwards... He gets to the service. Actually, he's in the service, and he texts me and his mother, and he goes, y'all pray for me. They told me I was preaching to junior high school kids. I just turned around. It's 100 college kids. Pray for me. Joseph or That we all stopped and prayed for him right there. So he calls me afterwards, and I'm going to get my report, and he's on his speakerphone in his car. He goes, hey, Dad, the guy's name, his daddy's Mike Allard. Do you remember him? He used to bring you in to Speak You conferences. I said, yeah, I remember him. He goes, Well, this is his son, and he's going to take over his church. I said, Wow, that's amazing. Pastor Eugene knows him really well. We've known him for 40 years. He said, Yeah, well, I, I preach for his son. I said, It's great. He said, You're not going to believe what happened. I said, What? He said, After I got through preaching, he said someone stood up and talked about people that were being sex trafficked in Houston and how they were taking an offering to help people in a home that was a safe house for people who'd been safe sex traffic and that they'd been rescued and they needed a place to stay. And so they took an offering. So I was sitting there and Eli, who's eight years old, the offering was coming and he said, reached in and he pulled out his wallet and he opened it up and he had $28. How many of you know when you're eight years old, $28 makes you a millionaire? You're richer than Bill Gates. <laughs> and And he reached in and he grabbed all the money and Christian said, Eli, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to give all my money to help people that are sex trafficked and children. He said, well, Eli, why don't you give $20 and keep $8 for yourself? And he said, because I believe God wants me to give it all. And he said, okay, give it all. The offering passes, pastor stands back up, says, we enjoyed our message from Pastor Christian, arrange it a day. And I watched his eight-year-old son is with him. My daddy was a pastor and he would travel and he was gone a lot of times. And a lot of times he was ministering to other people's children and I was at home. And he said, I, I, I never forgot that. So you know what I want to do right now? I want to take up an offering for Eli Aranza. And the offering was $290. And Eli said, pops, pop, it was $290. Now, I don't know what's special about Eli, but I drugged my children around me, all six of them, for 25 years, speaking all over America, and nobody ever gave them an offering. <laughs> Joseph's up here, he's mad right now. He's 30 years old. I am going to challenge you for us to all partner together, Michelle and I want to lead the way, in giving a million dollars. To outreach throughout our community. You say, Pastor, what are we going to do with the million dollars? I'm glad you asked. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to give $200,000 to secure and buy the retreat at sunset. It's a home on 17 acres. We want to take people who've come out of Teen Challenge, which is the best Christian drug. Treatment ministry in America. Seventy-six percent of the people that go through it in twelve months never go back to drugs. Let me help you. The average treatment center it costs a thousand dollars a day. Do you know how many people go back to drugs after that? Ninety percent of them. Nine zero. So we're going to minister to them so when they come out of 12 months of that those that have a call of God on their life to reach people just like them and those that have a call to go into business we're going to bring them and receive them there they're going to live there for six months and we're going to help them get a new start get them planted in the church get them equipped through our weekly Bible college and see their lives changed and a new future I'm sorry you weren't here in the last service because Nathan Carmichael sat right there. Second row, blonde lady, beautiful lady, wave at me like this. He sat right there. 12 years ago, Nathan Carmichael comes from one of the wealthiest families in Lafayette. He was addicted to opiates and heroin. Nobody in his family would have him. None of his family would even talk to him or trust him. He was living in a garage for a week from his grandparents until he found someplace to go. He went to Teen Challenge, got his life transformed, stayed there two more years as a staff member, came back, started a honey company, and now is the largest honey provider in all of the Gulf Coast region. And everybody that works for him went through the same program and they're working for him right now in New Iberia while I speak to you. Here's the second thing we're going to do with another $100,000, because I know how generous you are, I spoke on your behalf. I spent your money in advance. Is that okay? I stood in front of every district attorney in the state of Louisiana two months ago. And you know what I told them? The jail cells are full. Do you know what they're doing with people they arrest for drugs right now? Unless you're a hardcore drug dealer, they arrest you and release you back. You know what the city prosecutor of Lafayette told me personally? He said, pastor, if I had some place to send them, we could help them. He said, the problem is by the time they come back to court on their court date, some of them died already. Some of them died already. Look right here. At the end of this month, I will do the ninth OD of someone who died through our church the night last Saturday was the other call a few weeks ago seated right here beautiful 30 year old girl with her 4 year old daughter her husband up here how much longer can we stand by and do nothing How much longer can we wait for God to look and say, I blessed you and I provided for you. And you know what the answer is. When are you going to speak on my behalf? And so we're going to take another $100,000. And you know what I told those DAs? Instead of sentencing them to jail, if you will sentence them to Teen Challenge in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, we will take every one of them there. It costs $500 total to get in. Our church will pay the $500 and we'll pay to get every one of them sent there for 12 months so they can give their life to Christ, give their children a new daddy, give their parents a new son. And then when they get through, after a year, we're going to be waiting for them in sunset to come back for a new beginning. Look at me. I want you to ask you a question. How many of you have a loved one that's broken your heart and the hearts of those you love because of addiction. Raise your hand. Let me tell you what I purposed. I'm going to do for somebody else's child what I could not do for my own. I'm going to do for somebody else's child what I could not do for my own. Here's the third thing we're going to do. Well, first of all, put my picture up here, please. My first picture. See? The man on the right, his name is Michael Hankins. He's the director of the retreat at Sunset. 2014, he went to Teen Challenge in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. His mother had committed suicide. He was on nine psychiatric medications. He was suicidal. He ended up in the hospital after a suicide attempt, gave his life to Jesus, got transformed, and has worked in the Teen Challenge world for the last six, seven years. We hired him, and he now lives there with his wife running our facility in sunset the guy beside him he sent me this text two days ago pastor and he gives me the man's name I've been trying to get him out of jail for two months I just got him out of jail I'm about to put him on a plane to go to Cape Girardeau Missouri to team challenge for his life to be changed here's the next thing we want to do put the next picture up please we want to help Tim Tebow and Demi Tebow Build a safe house for sex trafficked women. We want to give them $250,000 to help begin a brand new home for those that have been rescued out of abuse and out of devastation. Here's the next thing we want to do each of our campuses is going to get $100,000. In New Iberia, they're going to develop a creative arts department for the Christian school there to help people with graphic arts, design, and music. In Broussard, they're going to do outreach in St. Martinville, in needy areas, and in Bro Bridge. In Opelousas, they're going to go to the most poor areas and begin to do outreach and ministry there, which they've continued doing for a long time. Our Midtown campus is going to start a learning center for children on the north side who come from broken and fatherless homes. At the Lafayette campus, we're going to do renovations in the back for your children and your nursery directors for all of your children. Plus so much more. Now, can I tell you one final story? How many of you have ever been to Church of the King in Mandeville, our church there? Anybody been there? It's the largest physical church plan in the state of Louisiana. It's over 200,000 square feet. It's nicer than the Hyman Performing Arts Center. It looks like a small Cajun dome with a much nicer facility. I've been Pastor Steve's pastor there for over 25 years. During Katrina, they were building their first building. They were having church in a old skating rink. Katrina hit Their church went from 3,000 people to 1,500 people and they lost half of their income. It took years to regain that. And then they began a campaign to build the building that they have now. Right after the building legacy campaign began just like this, a man called the church, talked to Pastor Steve's secretary and said, I need to speak to Pastor Steve the lady said okay well what's it about said it's about what he's been talking about on sunday and i got to talk to him now so she called pastor steve and said there's a man he says his name is dennis and he's got to talk to you he's got to talk to you now and it's about the campaign okay he went and met with him at a little coffee shop the man looked at him he said pastor steve i know you don't know me my two teenage children have come here and given their life to Christ and I've seen their life transformed. I, I went through a horrible, horrible divorce. But, but I believe what you're saying. And then he said, I just got one question to ask you. You got to answer it for me now. He said, what's that? He said, has anyone given a million dollars yet? Pastor Steve said, No. And he started crying and he said, thank God, thank God. When I was a little boy, I went to a little Baptist church. My daddy would take our tractor and cut the church's yard every week. And I would sit right in between his legs and help him drive the tractor. And I would say to myself, one day I'm going to build a church for God. That man has given a million dollars to that building since then, and that was 13 years ago. A million dollars a year, but it gets better. How many remember the BP oil spill? Remember people laid off? Dennis is in the boat business. He's in the boat business. And when you're in the boat business, you order boats in advance. And so every couple of months, millions of dollars come due. Except when the whole Gulf was shut down, the boats kept coming, the value of his company dropped in half, and he thought he might lose his own company. And then something happened. The government needed somebody that had enough ships and boats to head up the entire oil spill. And guess who got the job? it doesn't matter if you're a little boy giving 28 dollars or a little boy giving loaves and fishes or if you're Dennis God knows how we can corporately be a part of a miracle well pastor what do you want us to do there is a commitment card just like this it says legacy and here's what I want to ask you to do. Now look right here. Pastor Jacob, are you asking us for money? Look right here. No. Let me say it in Spanish. No. Let me say it in Cajun. May no. Well, what are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to ask God. I'm asking you to ask God. God, God. What do you want me to do? Michelle and I have lived this way throughout the duration of building this church over 20 years. And here's what we would do. Number one, we write our name. Number two, we pray together about what God have us to give. There's what can afford. There's what's convenient. And then there's what God asks me to give. And when we do that, look right here. I've always attached our greatest need to our greatest gift. This offering has been named my most stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious, drug-us-through-hell child. That's Eli's daddy. His name is Pastor Christian. This has been named Joseph. Oh, he's seated on the front row and is your youth pastor and college pastor. This has been named many things. And we've always attached our greatest need to our greatest gift and what God put on my heart was this, Jacob, if you will take care of my kids, I'll take care of yours. If you'll build my house, I'll build yours. And here's the third thing I want you to do. On November the 7th, which is Daylight Savings Day, we're we're calling it Save Many People's Lives Day. On that day, I want you to bring your card with your greatest need and your greatest gift. And I want you to give that. And maybe you can't do it all at one time. Maybe you just wanna put on there, here's my commitment and I owe you. In the next six months, I don't wanna stretch it out long in the six months, within the next six months, I'll give X. Now almost everything, 95% of all of this is going to places way outside this church people that may never even walk in the doors of this church. But while I was driving here praying today from home, I heard these words. I was in prison and you visited me and sent me to Teen Challenge. I was being abused and you rescued me. And we will say, Lord, when, when were you in prison? And, and when were you addicted? And when were you broken and abused? And he said, whenever you've done it unto the least of these my children, you've done it unto. You've done to me. Would you bow with me right now, Heavenly Father? I thank you for the precious people that are here. I thank you for the gift of God, the gift of trust that they have. And Michelle and I and Pastor Chris and Michelle as their pastors, thank you. Thank you. We never take that for granted. I thank you for their obedient and generous heart. Always. Always. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I didn't know this was what service was going to be about. Pastor, I, I've gone to church. I, I've been in places like this, but, but I've never experienced anything like this. Jesus said, unless a man or woman is born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? It's the most important question of your life. If Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God or to enter into the kingdom of God, it is the most important question of your life. You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I may have been christened or even baptized, but I've never prayed to be born again. And if Jesus said, I need to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven, to enter into it, then Pastor, would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. So on the count of three, if you're here today, I'm the only one that's going to be looking. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray for you right at your seat. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. Would you pray for me? It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Would you pray for me today? One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. He knew the message you were going to hear today. And now is your time to be born again to turn away from sin to know Christ. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Anywhere else? You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 13, but I should have. I need to be born again today. Raise your hand and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last time for you. Wave it at me. 13. Wave it at me. All right. the church, let's pray out loud with all those that raise their hand. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And that you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen.